Turn to the book of James chapter 2, James chapter 2, and this Thanksgiving season, if you can't find something to be thankful about, they just sang about it this morning. And many of us, I think, unfortunately, in our day and age and the culture of the United States, we look at all the things we don't have, and often we're so consumed with what we don't have, we don't stop to be thankful for what we do have. And if you're a saved, born-again believer today, you can know, you know that you've been redeemed. And if you've got nothing else to be thankful for, that's, that's something pretty good right there, you know. James chapter number two, we're going to look at... A passage of scripture, I I hope this message will be a blessing to you. Let's look at James chapter 2. We're going to be here for just a minute, and then we're going to hop back to James chapter 1. But let's look at verse number 18. James chapter 2, verse number 18. We're going to read just a few verses here. The Bible says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Let's look down to verse number 26 now. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So if you see a theme there in those verses of Scripture, that passage of Scripture, James is telling us a few times here, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead being alone. All right, now let's go back to James chapter 1, and we're going to pick up there in just a moment here. But James chapter 1 is where we're going to spend uh, the rest, of, uh, uh, the rest of, the, of our time in this message today. Now, again, in this time of, of year, you know, it's always enjoyable around the holidays. Uh, and I, I'm getting it, man. I'm getting old. And I start looking back. And you, you get this time of year, you start reflecting on the year. You get very sentimental about uh, things that have happened over the past year. And, uh, you know, when Brother Jeremiah was going out of town, he asked me to speak on this Sunday morning. And, and I began to look at the calendar, and it just kind of hit me. This is, we're right at six months from, from when uh, Brother Jeremiah and his family came here to Central. And I mean, it's been, it was at the end of May, and if you do the math, and I counted it up, it's right at six months uh, that, that he has been our pastor. And uh, just looking at what has happened in our church over the last year is, uh, is almost to a degree, it's a little, little mind-boggling, to be honest with you. Um, we've gone through some stuff, haven't we? Uh, we've gone through some change here at Central, those of you who are members here. And this message today is going to be more, I guess, more specific, geared toward those who are members of Central Baptist Church. If you're visiting with us, uh, I think there's some truth here that you can get as well. But this is going to be more focused toward those of us who are members here at Central Baptist Church. And, uh, you know, we're looking back over the last year, a lot of change has taken place in our church. And I believe that we've gone through a season of testing in our church. And to be honest with you, I, I think we kind of are still in it. And if we're, if we're really being uh, aware of, of where we are in our church. Now, one of the reasons I like the book of James is that James is kind of, he's just blunt. You know, and he, do, he just kind of just says it. You know, there's not a lot of uh, frilly language. He just says, this is the way it is. Boom, here you go. You know, deal with it. You know, uh, and that's... Yeah, I, I'm not smart enough to pick up on a lot of hidden, hidden meanings on things, and so uh, I appreciate that. James just says, here's the way it works. Here's how the cow ate the cabbage. Then you take it and you deal with it, all right? It's in your lap. Now, if we know the story of James, uh, most Bible scholars believe this is James, the brother of Jesus. He was a man who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah until after the resurrection. And so you kind of see where he's coming from here. He's a man who lived a lot, uh, many years 
in doubt that Jesus was the Son of God, but later becomes a very influential figure in the book of Acts and in the early church. And uh, he writes this book of the Bible that's, again, a short passage of Scripture, but, you know, I can kind of, you know, maybe he doesn't speak in a little sarcasm, but I kind of hear that in James chapter 2 where he's saying, you know, in verse number 19, thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. I can kind of hear the sarcasm there. Thou believest that there is one God. Yeah, good for you. The devils also believe and tremble. You know, I kind of hear that kind of tone almost. And maybe that's not what he meant, uh, but that's kind of how I take it. And uh, he's speaking to us as Christians and telling us, hey, this is how you live the Christian life. The book of James is very similar to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs in the Old Testament teaches us practical ways to live in the wisdom of God. Some people have said that the book of James is very similar. It's, It's the New Testament version of the Sermon on the Mount. And the point being that the book of James teaches us in a practical way how to live the Christian life. Now, if you're like me, man, it's easy to talk about the Christian life. It's easy to talk about our faith in Christ and our faith in God. And it's easy to talk about, uh, almost in, in vague conversation, how wonderful God is in our faith in Jesus Christ. But when we start really putting wheels to it... You know, the reality kind of kicks in. Then it kind of, uh, uh, you know, leads us down a road of conviction often that we're not living in a practical sense what we like to talk about at church. And so today, we're really going to take kind of a six-month review, if you will. All right, so, so if you remember, if you were here over this past year, before we hit the month of May, before Brother Andrews and his family came, we went through a series in our church on really focusing on ourselves, on being the right kind of church member. And being what we're supposed to be if we're going to be asking the Lord to do something great for us. And so really we're six months down the road here. And and, uh, uh, I'd like to take the opportunity for for all of us together collectively and then individually to look at ourselves. How we've been doing for six months. We prayed. We sought the Lord's will. We asked God to provide a pastor for our church. We asked for the Lord's leading. And thankfully the Lord came through. I was talking to a guy this week, a man who has no affiliation with our church. He lives in a state out west. He has never heard, uh, I think he had never heard of our church. Uh, it was a, a guy I was talking about. He's a Christian. He's a former pastor. He's working in business. And we were talking about some, some things with our church. And so he said, you know, tell me a little bit about your church. Tell me about the past year. You know, has anything changed over the past year? I'm like, Yeah. Uh, I said, yeah, a few things have. And he said, well, just tell me about your church. And we're working on this little business project and such. And and so he said, well, tell me about your church. I said, well, let me tell you. Here's what happened. Uh, In January, our our pastor announced he was leaving. And he, I mean, right away he said, oh, man. He said, I've been a pastor. He said, man, I know that that can can be pretty rough on a church. And I said, of of course, it was very difficult. I said, but here's what happened. I said, we prayed. We sought the Lord's will. And to the glory of God, the Lord answered our request, answered our prayer, and sent us a pastor, and he came in May. And he's been pastoring our church for about six months now. He said, you got to be kidding me. He said, well, how many people did you lose? I said, not a lot. Most of them still show up. We didn't run them off. That's great. You're you're to be commended for that, you know. I said, uh, uh, most of our people stayed, and the church really handled this well. And we collectively, in unity, sought the will of God. And I said, and the Lord just did what he had to do. I said, it wasn't anything we were able to do. He had to do it, and he brought us a pastor. He said, I can't believe that. I told him the story. He said, you never hear of that happening. 
He said, I can tell you a story. He told me this. He said, I can tell you story after story of churches who lost a pastor that the church eventually shut down, closed down, or dwindled down to next to nothing and just really went through difficult circumstances because people didn't handle it properly. I said, well, the praise is not on us. It's not to us. The praise be to the Lord. I said, in unity, we sought the Lord's will and praise be to the Lord for what he's done here. And we ought to keep that mindset, church. I mean, look, we ought, we ought to be aware and in the season of Thanksgiving and season of holiday, thank the Lord for what he has done here. Does, is what the Lord did in our church, was it without bumps in the road? Of course not. Was it without any problems whatsoever? Of course not. There were problems. There still are problems. And guess what? They're not going away, you know? We're, we're people. We all have problems. And, and uh, through the transition phase of our church, we had some bumps in the road along the way, and we had some problems we had to deal with, but the glory goes to the Lord for what the Lord did here in our church, and we thank the Lord for it. And so this season of Thanksgiving, this is kind of introductory here, we ought to remember what the Lord did in our church and what the Lord is doing here at Central. And we ought to have the mindset, let's not mess it up. Let's not mess it up. Let's not get so proud and so arrogant or so focused in our putting our attention on ourselves that we disrupt or we remove the blessing of God on Central Baptist Church. And so, in this quick review here in the last six months, how are we doing? Are we still having the spirit of unity in the church that we had six, eight months ago? Do we still have a spirit of serving the Lord and seeking God's will the way that we did before? You know, that's the interesting thing about testing and trials is that it leads us back to Christ. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Our attitude, our attitude toward God's testing. Our attitude toward God's testing. Look in your Bible here at James chapter 1. I tell you what, let's pray together real quick and then we'll jump into this. Our Heavenly Father, again, once again, I pray that you bless our time together this morning. Bless this message, Lord. I pray that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, in each person here today, I pray that you'd help us to, to gain from this passage of Scripture exactly what we need for our own personal life, for our own personal trials and testings. Lord, I pray that as a church collectively, as a church body, Lord, that we would learn the lessons today from this message, from your word, of what we need to do and how we need to evaluate ourselves and where we need to go in the road ahead uh, for the future of Central Baptist Church. Lord, for your glory and your praise. I pray that you bless this message now, and thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at James chapter 1 here. Now, the Bible says here in verse number 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. So James is talking here. Now, remember, we, we, we skipped ahead. We got to James chapter 2, and what does he say over and over again? Faith without works is dead. Faith is dead being alone. Does that mean you have to do good works to be saved, to have the faith? No. No, but what he's teaching us here is that we can talk a good Christian life all we want, but if we're not living it, it's worthless. We're not going to win anyone to Christ. We're not going to have any impact on our community if we just talk about the things of God, but we don't live it. Now, many of us, we like to, you know, you can't judge me. What does that mean? I'm living in sin, and I don't want you to talk about it. <laughs> I'm not doing, I'm doing something I'm not supposed to, and I don't want you to tell me about it. We get that mentality of, well, I'm not to be judged. And the Bible says, wait a second. James says, hey, 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 you can talk a good talk all you want to, but if you're not doing what you say you're doing, it's worthless. It's dead. That's a pretty heavy term. Your faith is dead without works. So, if I'm to be the right kind of Christian in a practical sense... If I'm going to live for the Lord in a practical way where my life has an impact and glorifying God and drawing people to Christ, 
then I have to be able to be willing to do good works. My faith ought to lead me to do good. I don't do good to get faith because of my faith in Christ, because I am born again, because I have a home in heaven. It's going to lead me, because I desire to serve the Lord, it's going to lead me to do good. So this is where we're going. All right, so James is telling us faith without works is dead. So let's go back here to, to, to chapter 1. Now let's jump into verse number 2. James says here, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now, real quick here, James chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, deals with what the verse 2 there says, temptations. Now, that's not temptation to sin. Verses 1 through 12 deal with testings and trials that come from God. So when you read that first portion of the chapter, it's talking about God putting you through testing, God putting you through trials. Now, when you get to verse 13, 13 through 16 talks about temptation of sin. Temptation that comes from Satan. So it's important to, to, to look at the difference here of what we're talking about here. So we're talking the first portion of this chapter, 1 through 12, talking about specifically testings and trials that come from God. Uh, with, uh, with James chapter 1, you see here that uh, the testings and trials lead us, lead us to have our faith tried. Look at verse number 2 again. My brethren, count it all joy. Count it all joy. He's telling us, To be joyful when you go through testing. Now look, trials and tests, verses 1 through through 12, deal with trials and tests that come from God. And these, these trials and tests are given to us for our good. God does not put us through testings and does not put us through trials that are not for our good. They are for our good. They are for our growth. They're meant to make us to be more like Him. The temptation from Satan... Verses 13 through 16, the temptation to sin is for our bad. It's for our harm. It's to hurt us. And so there's a difference. The testing and trials that come from God are not there to hurt us. They're there for our good. The temptations from Satan are there for our bad. And so he tells us in verse number two, count it all joy. Be joyful when God sends you through testings and trials. I don't know about you, but that's kind of tough. God's going to put you through a test and a trial. Be joyful. Be excited about it. Now, it's not exciting going through testing and going through trials, but the point is this, that he's trying to lead us to grow, to be more like him. And this is where the Lord's sending us, okay? So he says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. God tests us to bring out the good. Satan tempts us to bring out the bad. Now, there are a few things that the Lord has taught us, and we're going to continue going through this passage of Scripture here to learn lessons from trials and testings, okay? So we got three points here, three lessons that we need to learn, and then uh, we'll wrap this up today. All right, the first one here, let's look at verse number three. Knowing this, okay, so he says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Be joyful when God sends you through a season of testing. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. The trying of your faith worketh patience. The first thing we ought to learn and, and our first attitude we ought to have, the first lesson we ought to learn when we go through a season of trials and testing is to learn patience. It's to learn patience. You know, I've heard it said before, and if you've said this, I'm sorry, I haven't, I'm not, you know, this is not anybody in particular, but I've heard it said before, don't ask God for patience. He might give it to you. What a foolish thing to say. We ought to seek patience. 
We ought to seek patience. Why? Patience teaches us to be more like Christ. Patience teaches me to be more dependent on God and to wait on the Lord. And we ought to pray for patience. The Bible says, hey, look in verse number four. Let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Let patience have her perfect work. Growing through these trials helps us to be more like Christ. What does Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 say? Wherefore, we, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. This is a common theme. If you're to grow as a Christian, if you're to be more Christ-like, and, and through this season of testing that we are in in our church, through this season of change, it's important for you and I to grow in patience. Grow in patience. Speaking collectively as our church, we have a new pastor. Things have changed. Things are different. There may be some things that we wish that he would do differently, and we think he ought to do this and ought to do that, and what should we do? Be patient. Be patient. What's the Lord trying to teach you and I? Be patient. Let patience have her perfect work. Now, the key, key word there is let. Let patience have her perfect work. James is telling us here, hey, hotshot, stop. Let it do its work. That's in the Greek there, the hotshot part, you know. <laughs> He says, look, let patience sit back and, and, and let God do his work and let patience have her perfect work. Why? So that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing, so that you can be made what you need to be. You can be molded into what you need to be for the Lord. Oftentimes change, change comes and we, we don't want to be patient. And I'll be honest with you, I'm the, I'm the chief of this, okay? I, you don't, we don't want to deal with patience. And we're to let patience come. Why? Because it's going to make us into what we ought to be. It's to prove us. The Lord gives us trials and testings to prove us, to grow us. Years ago, the Union Pacific Railroad Company was building a railroad out west, and they had a large canyon that they, were, that they were needing to cross. And so one of the builders came in and helped construct and lead the building of this massive bridge over this large canyon. And of course, I mean, when you look at this bridge, I mean, you're thinking the question that everyone's thinking, will this hold a train? I mean, there's no room for error here. Will this be able to hold a load that comes across this bridge? And this builder wanted to show everyone that it was safe. It's okay. So once the, build, once the bridge was built, he took a train, he took a, uh, he took a locomotive, and he took a, uh, uh, hooked a bunch of cars to it, and he loaded them down with double the payload that these trains typically carried. And he pulled that train out to the middle of the bridge, and he stopped it, and he got out, and they left it. And he left it there for a day. And one of the men asked him there, are you trying to break the bridge? He said, no, 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 I'm proving it. I'm proving that it will hold. What does the Lord try to do with us and he's teaching us trials? He's trying to grow us. He's trying to strengthen us and prove us, prove our faith. How do we prove our faith in Christ? With patience, with patience. What is it the Lord's doing in your life? Outside of our church, collectively, what is it the Lord's teaching you in your life? What trial are you going through right now that the Lord is trying to develop patience in your life? And many times the Lord brings a trial and we fuss and we fight and we resist it and we don't like it. And the Lord's entirely trying to teach us patience, trying to teach us patience. He's trying to tell us, just, just wait a little bit longer. Just let me do my work. Susanna Wesley, the mother of John and Charles Wesley, uh, uh, once had a, uh, her husband mentioned to her one time, he said, I marvel at your patience. You have told that child the same thing 20 times. 
She replied, had I spoken the matter only 19 times, I would have lost all my labor. You told that kid 20 times to do so. I, I, I couldn't believe her patience. She said, if I'd, have, if I'd have stopped at 19, I would have lost all my labor. I think how many of us in our Christian life, the Lord is putting us through testing and trials in our own personal life. And we get to 19 times and we're frustrated and then we just get full, we just get filled up. We just can't take anymore. And we get frustrated with the Lord. And he says, if you just waited a little bit longer, you would have seen great victory. If you had just been patient a little bit longer, you'd see great victory. How many of us ought to seek the Lord and depend on the Lord and have patience and grow in patience and let patience have her perfect work? Let patience do what it needs to do. Let's sit back and let God do what he wants to do in our life. Church, collectively, let's be patient. Let's let the Lord do what he wants to do. Remember, it's not our church. It's his church. This is not our church. We can never forget that, and may we never forget that. This is the Lord's church. So we need to be patient and let him have his perfect work. If you go to the book of 1 Corinthians, we're not going to go to it because of time today, but when you look at the book of 1 Corinthians, you go through chapters 1 through 3, and Paul's saying over and over and over again, he's got this theme that he keeps going back to with the people of Corinth. Now, what do we know about the church of Corinth? We know that they were worldly. We use that term carnal. They were worldly. They had their focus and attention on things that were not important. And one of the things that they had their focus and attention on was on personalities, the people of Corinth were focused on different, pre- different preachers, different men of God. And so they would say things like, I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Paul, and some of the really spiritual ones, well, I am of Jesus. You know, and these people are fighting in the church. Paul comes in, I mean, he literally tells the people, I didn't baptize almost all y'all, and I'm glad. You know, I think he was kind of fed up with them. He said, I'm glad I didn't baptize most of you people. I don't want you saying I'm of Paul. We are all of Christ. Some had the, had the job of planting. Some have the job of watering, but it's God that gives the increase. And what do we see here in the church of Corinth? He's dealing with these people who are constantly focused on things that don't matter. They're focused on personalities, on shallow things. And let's be careful, Central Baptist Church, now that we're six months into a new pastor, that we just don't sit here and focus on the personality of the pastor and the personality of the staff and how, how we think things ought to be. Hey, that's such a shallow thing. Paul says, quit worrying about I'm I'm, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos and I'm of this and I'm of that and I'm of of this person and that. Hey, it's the Lord's work. So in the midst of all that, in the midst of all that, what does Paul say? 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 2, he makes a statement here. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found what, class? Faithful. Faithful. The first lesson we're to learn going through trials and testings from God is to learn patience. We're to learn patience. The second attitude we ought to have is that of faithfulness. Faithfulness. The church at Corinth, they're so consumed with personality. They were so consumed. And Paul's reprimanding them for being focused on such a minor thing. We ought to be patient I would encourage you, and and again, I'm not speaking as if I've heard stuff or I know stuff's going on. I'm not. I I don't have any specific axe to grind here. I'm just talking, and I'm really talking from myself and some things that that I see in my life and that, that I think all of us probably need to hear, that we need to be patient. Let's be patient with our church, patient with our pastor, 
patient with the changes that, uh, that he is, is making in his own life. I mean, think about this. We, we've gone through change here. I mentioned this on, on, uh, on last week. We've gone through change here, but think about the change that Brother Jeremiah and his family have gone through. Now, we changed pastors, but we didn't have to pick up our families and move. We didn't have to leave a bunch of people that we loved. We didn't have to leave our church and come to a whole brand new place with all of us people. Now, I think we're pretty cool. I like us. I think it's a pretty good gig, if I do say so myself. But we didn't have to do what Brother Jeremiah and his family did. So let's be patient through this change. And, and I'm, I mentioned this last Sunday. When they moved here, I mean, they hit the ground running. I mean, they've not stopped. They got here, unpacked, and I'm not even sure if they unpacked. I mean, they got here and got busy, and they've been going and going ever since they got here. Now, have, again, has it been without any bumps in the road? Of course not. That's just, that's just normal life. But he's come, and he and his family have made drastic change in their own personal life. So really, I'd like to say what maybe he wouldn't say himself. Let's be patient with him. Let's be patient with his wife and his family. Let's be patient in the transition that they're making in their own personal life. It's only been six months for them. So if he does something that you don't like or he didn't do something you think he ought to do, hush. Okay? In the spirit of meekness, shut your face, all right? (laughs) Let's not be critical. Let's not be critical. Let's be patient. And let's let patience have her perfect work. And in the meantime, let's be faithful. Let's be faithful. That leads us to the next point in the passage of Scripture here. Look over here in James chapter 1. Verse number 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. What a wonderful verse of Scripture. The older I get, the more dumb I find I am. I used to know stuff when I was in my 20s, man. I knew how to, I could fix the world, man. I knew how to raise kids before I had them. Uh, I could fix everything. Oh, the older I get, the more I go back to this passage of Scripture. Lord, I need wisdom. Lord, I need your help. I, I, I'm, I'm getting dumber by the day, and I need more and more wisdom. And the Lord tells us, hey, hey, when you're going through trials, when you're going through testing, when you're going through change, ask God for wisdom, and he will give it to you liberally. He'll give you a lot. He's not going to hold it back. He's going to give you what you need, but you got to ask for it. Okay, now let's go to verse number six. But let him ask in faith. Oof. Let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering. Nothing wavering. When we ask God for wisdom, he says, ask me and I'll give it to you. But when you ask, ask in faith, believing that you'll receive it. Nothing wavering. For he that wavereth, it's like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed just here and there and just wavering back and forth. So my question to you is this. Over the last six months, have you remained faithful? Have you remained faithful to the Lord? Have you, been, have you remained faithful? Have you grown in your faith? Have you grown in wisdom and sought the Lord's wisdom? Now that the Lord answered our request as a church six months ago, have you remained faithful Have you served the Lord with the same vigor and intensity you did six months ago, eight months ago, a year ago? Have you been faithful in your tithes and offerings? I mean, James is getting real blunt kind of in our face here, so let's just do that to ourselves. Are we faithful in our tithes and offerings, or have we begun to pull back? Have we begun to resist and and, and not been faithful in, in, in serving the Lord? The Lord says, wait a second, ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth, 
It's like the wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed it. Look at verse number 7. Look at verse number 7 here. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Uh-oh. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. He's talking about the man who wavers, who's back and forth. You know, are you that Christian who you're on fire for the Lord one day, the next day you're just, uh, just, you know, this Christian life, I can't trust God. Next day I trust the Lord. I love the Lord. I'm going to depend on him until tomorrow and then I don't believe his word and I don't walk with him and, and I'm excited about the Lord and I'm going to give my tithes and offerings and now I'm not going to this week because I got some bills I got to pay and then I got all this and we go back and forth. We waver back and forth. What does he say in verse 7? Let's read it again. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. He says, ask in faith, ask for wisdom without wavering. Because the guy that wavers, he's back and forth. And don't let him think that he's going to get anything from the Lord. How dare we ask for the Lord for things and then we say, God, give this to me. I need this. I need this. Now it's time to go to church. I don't feel like it today. God, I need this help. I need this help. I need this help. And that Bible sitting there saying, read me, spend time with me. And no, I don't want to today. Uh, uh, Lord, I need your help. I need your help. I need your help. It's time for offering. Well, I mean, you know, it, Christmas is coming, and I got to buy some gifts and things, and, and we're back and forth and wavering. The Lord says, don't, James tell, teaches us through the inspired word of God here, don't let that man think that he received anything of the Lord. Yeah. We're to be faithful. What is it that the Lord requires? Again, 1 Corinthians 4, Paul said, all you guys are worried about personalities. You're worried about things that are not important. What is required, not asked of, the Lord says, this is required. This is point one. You got, this is what you've got to be. If you're going to be a good steward, it's required that you be found faithful. That you be found faithful. So church member of Central Baptist Church, have you remained faithful? Have you remained faithful in your service to the Lord, in your walk with God, in your giving to others, in your love for one another? Have you remained faithful or are you wavering back and forth and happy one day down the next, excited about the Lord and depressed the next, and, or are we faithful? Numbers chapter 14, the Bible tells us, you don't have to turn there, but the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them? The Lord is getting so frustrated with the people of Israel. Why? Because they won't believe him. They won't believe him. They provoked him. The, what, he's, what he's talking about here is referring to when the, the children of Israel sent the, sent the spies into Canaan. The Lord said, look, there's this land. I've given it to you. It's yours. It's flowing with milk and honey and a bunch of bad people. And you're going to go in there, and I'm going to get rid of all these bad guys for you. I'm going to win the victory, and this land is for you. Now think about this. The children of Israel have gone through a lot of stuff. They've gone through the Red Sea experience. They've seen water come out of a rock a couple of times. They've seen people be smitten with horrible disease for standing up against the man of God. There have been a number of things that have happened where they've seen God work. I mean, they've watched miracles happen. They've seen manna come from heaven. They've seen uh, uh, quail and all the things that happened where God provided for their needs over and not just one thing, over and over and over again. Not to mention, these people are a little bit older, but many of them, I'm sure, remember the, 12, uh, the 10, 10 plagues of Egypt and all that took place with them leaving Egypt in the first place. And God says, now it's time to go into the promised land. And they sent 10 spies in there. We know the song, if you remember this from Sunday school, 10 were bad and two were good, all right? 10 of them came back and said, oh man, there's some really big bad people there. We can't do it. We need to stay over here. And Joshua and Caleb were the ones saying, hey, there's a bunch of awesome stuff over there and some bad people and God's going to give us the victory because he said so. And the people of Israel 
they looked at this great opportunity and they stepped away from it. They walked away. God says, okay, fine. You're going to be wandering in the wilderness for a long time now. And I'm going to get rid of this generation and bring up another generation who's going to trust me. Look at what he says. Listen to what he says here. The Lord said to Moses, how long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs that I've showed them? The Israelites were murmuring and complaining and were in fear. And simply they chose. They chose to not believe the, the, the word of God. They chose instead to believe the circumstances that they saw, and they chose to not believe the word of God. They looked at this great opportunity to go into the land of Canaan and said, no, it's too big. It's too bad for us. God promised it to us, but we really don't believe him now. Remember, these are people who believed in God. They believed in God. They saw God do great miracles, the parting of the Red Sea, the plagues of Egypt. They saw all of this great uh, provision given to them. They saw the Egyptians uh, uh, eliminated at the Red Sea and the great trial that was coming after them. They saw all of that taken away. God said, now it's time to go in and conquer. And they said, no. We, I mean, we saw you provide for us before, but we're not sure you're going to provide for us now. And they saw all this great provision and they skipped it. They didn't believe it. And the Lord said, Why do you, how long are you going to provoke me? So my question is this. How long are we going to provoke God by not remaining faithful, not believing what he, was going, what he can do in our lives? The question was not, did they believe in God? They obviously did. He said, therefore, all the signs which I have showed them. The people could not deny the things they had witnessed, but yet they still doubted God. Because of their doubt, the people of God were unstable. Look at James chapter 1, verse number 8. A double-minded man is what? Unstable in all his ways. Have we remained stable in the last six months? Have we been stable in all of our ways? Have we chosen to live according to God's word? Then the last point here, and we'll be done for today. Look at verse number 9 and 10. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. Skip down to verse number 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Enduring temptation, enduring the testings and the trials from God, enduring those things means that we're surrendered to God's will. So what's our third attitude? Surrender. Surrender. Our first attitude ought to be of patience. Being patient with what God's doing in our life. Our next attitude ought to be of faithfulness. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to believe his word. I'm going to believe what he's, what he's given me. I'm going to believe what he's told me. I'm going to believe that he's going to provide for my need and that what he's doing in my life is according to his will and he's growing me to be more like him. And that leads us to the third attitude in the spirit of surrender. Andrew Murray said, God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. God's ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. Now, surrendering to God's will is a topic that inspires many people to follow the Lord and to follow his will. But are we really surrendered to the Lord and to the Lord's will when it begins to upset our life? And that's really the question. We can talk about messages, and, I, and I've been, I've heard messages on, on surrender to God's will. And man, I've been inspired to surrender to God's will. But then when things start to change in my life and God begins to work, and well, I find out I wasn't quite as surrendered as I, as I said I was. 
as maybe even I thought I was. Let me ask you this, church. We, we surrendered to God's will. We gave God's will. We gave our church to the Lord and asked for his will. He gave us a pastor. And we were so excited about that. We were so excited. Man, remember that night. Remember that. Man, such excitement. We prayed for this. And the Lord answered our prayer. But are we still surrendered to God's will? Because we asked for the Lord to bring a pastor, a shepherd, to guide our church. A man to come in, a, a new person with a, with a fresh vision for the future of Central Baptist Church. Are we going to still be remain surrendered to, the God, to, to God's will through the leadership of our pastor? Let's, let's kind of put it down again to practical terms here. Will we still be surrendered to the leadership of our pastor and God's will when he wants to change our Sunday school room? Well, not my Sunday school room. Man, church is a split because somebody, a pastor said, I want to move you from this room to the next room. And you think, how foolish. Yeah, how foolish. Are we willing to still be surrendered when a pastor comes in and says, okay, I want to change this and do this differently. Well, we've always done it this way for the last 75 years since I've been a member of this church. Is that going to be our spirit and our attitude? Are we still going to have a surrendered heart? You say, well, what's he going to change? I don't know. I'm just throwing out, you know, uh, just possibilities. I don't have the goods, okay? I don't know of any great drastic changes. But the point is this. We pray for the Lord's will for someone to lead our church. So when this man comes to lead us into the future, are we going to be willing to be led? Are we going to be surrendering the will of God to the will of God through the leadership of his man and, be, and support him as he leads and takes away that ministry that I started that I've been doing for the last 35 years? Or maybe he wants to make an adjustment here or an adjustment there. Am I going to be willing to be surrendered? And the Lord says, look, be patient. Work in faithfulness and be surrendered to my will. Don't be afraid of change. Some things will change in the future. We have a new pastor. And no doubt he's going to bring some kind of change in our church. And I believe that God will be watching to see if we will be obstinate and stubborn against his will through the leadership of the pastor or if we'll be surrendered to this new leader. Look, there's some things in our church that are never going to change. We have this idea, and oftentimes we understand, we say these things, we're not going to change. And on the fundamentals of the Christian faith, we should not change. We will not change. On the deity of Christ, on the blood atonement, on the virgin birth of Christ, those are things that will not change. But changing a classroom from one to the next, that's not a fundamental of the faith. And oftentimes our attention and focus is on the things not so important as opposed to the things that are important. Oftentimes we're like the people of Corinth. We're focused on the things that we think are important that really in the grand scheme of things are really not. So let's not be a worldly, carnally minded person. Let's be focused on what's most important, the glorifying of the Lord through his church. And when the leader of the, of the church comes and sometime down the road has a new vision for the church and wants to lead us in a direction that maybe we are not used to, let's be on board and surrendered and get behind what's coming down the road. Let's be supportive. Let's determine to set 2020 as a year of obedience to God's plan for Central Baptist Church. And look at verse number 13 and we'll be done. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Now back it up to verse number 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, talking about testing and trials. For when he is tried, 
He shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. God tells us here, have patience. Let patience have a perfect work. Remain faithful. Be faithful to God's will and God's plan. Be surrendered to what the Lord is going to do in our church and, and most importantly in your own personal life through the tests and trials that you may be facing right now. Be surrendered to that. And if you do, I mean, he's commanding us. This is what you're supposed to do. But if you do that, you'll be blessed. You'll receive a crown of life. The Lord promises to bless us if we're just simply obedient to him. And so I just want to encourage you today that through the change that has happened in this church over the last year, let's not lose focus and lose sight on what's most important. Let's grow through the trial and testing that God has placed our church, has placed our church through. In your own life, whatever trials and testing that God has seen fit to put you in, to put you through, remember it's for your growth. It's for your growth. It's for your benefit. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. In fact, it's probably not. But the Lord says, look, let patience have a perfect work. Let God develop you and make you into what he wants you to be. Be faithful. Don't waver. Be, be faithful. And be surrendered to what God is, is delivering you through, what God is bringing you through. Be faithful and surrendered, and God will bless you. Now, I don't know about you, but I like the idea of being blessed of God. I'm not real smart, but when it says you can be blessed, my ears perk up. I'm paying attention here. I want good stuff, all right? I like that idea of being blessed. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, endureth trials, endureth testing. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. God suggests that our surrender to his will is a sign of how much we love him. He shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Our surrender is tied to our love for Christ. We like to talk about how much we love the Lord. It's now time to now put it into practice. How much do I love the Lord? He's promised to bless those that are obedient and to them that love him. So let's show the Lord how much we love him. Let's be obedient to what's most important. Let's follow his plan for our life. Let's follow his plan for our church. Let's not be the obstinate one, the one who provokes God. Let's be the one who who receives a blessing from God because of our obedience. Let's make this next year a great year for Central Baptist Church. Let's pray together this morning.